in Colossians 2, Paul is writing here to this church. There's a man named Epaphras who had most likely started the church, and he's traveled to where Paul is. Paul's actually in prison. Epaphras has met with him. He shared a lot of the things happening in the church, some really good things happening in the church, and also some things in the church that he is nervous about, and it seems he's trying to get Paul's opinion. And Paul is writing back to this group of people, and he's going to respond to some of the things that Epaphras has told him. So let's look at verse 1. He says, for, which connects us with the last section. Paul was talking about the conflict he had for this church and his heart for them. For, I want you to know what great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. And for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul had not personally ministered to most of these people. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. And attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Pretty remarkable here. Paul opens up and he basically says to this group of people, look, I want you to understand this conflict I have for you. He's worried about the things going on there, the church. He has literally gone through conflict physically publicly from government and spiritual forces, all this to minister to other believers. And he's particularly concerned for this church in a number of different reasons, but he's bringing those things before the throne of God. And again, I just think in remarkable character, you know, this guy's in prison. I, I can think if I was thrown in prison, I would be wanting people to think of my conflict and praying for me, and being worried about me. And here is Paul in prison talking about his conflict, worried for them, this church, and the things that are going on there. And those are not just words. This is really the heart of God in the middle of his own difficulties. He's concerned not just with himself, but with this church. And he's burdened for these Christians. Notice he says, as many as not seen my face, that He's, he hasn't really seen face-to-face. This isn't even one of those churches that he was the one who birthed it, and he knew these people personally, and he stayed in their homes. And he, he is just hearing of these other Christians. And he loves them in Christ. He's concerned about them and burdened for them. And he desperately, notice verse 2, what, what he wants to see here in this church is to see that their hearts may be encouraged. What a great thing. Right off the bat, he wants their hearts to be encouraged, which is a very powerful thing. I think a lot of people could use some encouraged hearts nowadays. A discouraged heart, also a very powerful thing. The heart is the center of man. That's why the Bible tells us to keep it with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. It's out of the heart that we see good and bad fruit come. It's out of the heart that come all these things. And Paul says, in the middle of what's going on with this church, I I want your hearts to be encouraged. I want them to be lifted up. He wants these believers to have hearts that are encouraged. And here's here's part of how he sees that happening. A a particular place for a good encouraged heart is, is in this place. Being knit together in love. 
with this group of believers, he sees the fellowship of loving Christians as a good place to have an encouraged heart. Uh, Knit, obviously, you know what knitting is. That's the picture. The word there, if you want a more manly picture, could also be welded. So uh, if you don't know anything about knitting and you know something about welding, this can help you then. Knit or welded together in love. The idea is this group of people is not just a group of people that show up, gather, and then scatter. They assemble and they are united in a purpose. They have, they have a call to come together and that's what encourages them. I mean, I think obviously right now for me personally, I think for many of us, we can say it's encouraging to know that there's a place I can go to gather with other people that want their lives to be for Jesus Christ in this day and age. Uh, that's an encouragement. And to know that that is out there and that we can be connected to that type of people and that we can be knit together, welded together because of that. To love him and to love one another in that way. And in the middle of that, that they would have, notice, or they would attain to all the riches of a full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God. There's a big sentence there. Both of the Father and of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He wants them to have a full assurance of their personal knowledge of everything that God has done for them. A full assurance and notice understanding there. He, he ties those two together of that personal knowledge. I guess in our modern day vernacular, you could say Paul is saying he really wants them to spiritually get it. Right? Sometimes we say that, like they just don't get it. You know, you have a player out on the field and you're like, he doesn't get it. He doesn't get the larger picture. here. He doesn't understand how this fits together. Paul, Paul wants these believers to be knit together and to be understanding of all that they have in Christ. He wants them to have personal knowledge of, notice he says, all the riches and all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him. Uh, he, he wants them to, when we have that personal knowledge, have value in those things. I think it's important for us to recognize, is there certain spiritual riches in Christ that we have? Do I have spiritual valuables? Uh, It would be almost as if I asked you, write down five things that you know about God, that nobody could convince you otherwise. I love the story in John chapter 9 where there's a man who's born blind And Jesus heals him. You know, he spits in the ground, makes mud, puts it on his eyes, tells him to go wash off. You should read the whole chapter for yourself. But he gets in arguments with Pharisees and people are like, you're not the guy. And he's like, I'm the guy. And then they're like, who's healed you then? He's like, I don't know. I I was blind. I didn't see. That's a tough question for a blind guy. I didn't see him. He's fighting back and forth with the Pharisees. And they're pressing him. This guy's not from God. What do you think? He's a prophet. Why would you say that? You can't say that. This whole battle goes on. And eventually it gets to the point where a familiar verse that most of us know. He says, look, one thing I know. Once I was blind, now I see. That was a spiritual valuable right there. You couldn't take that from him. And all the pressure, it wasn't going to crack. It was something that would be refined. 
And Paul understands that it can't just be head knowledge for these people. They need to understand personally, have a knowledge of the mystery of God and the Father and Christ and all the things that are hidden in them for them. The treasures that are there, the riches that are there, the wisdom that is there. And I think it's particularly now in our time, it is easy even for a person like myself to have a a curated faith where I can profess the right things, but really I can cultivate my life so that I don't have to actually be dependent upon my faith. I just, I can just have it and say it. But then in everyone's life, there comes times where the curation wears off. We can't, we can't control those things anymore, right? Health issues pop up. There's a cancer diagnosis. A loved one passes away. You lose a job. Something crazy happens in the country. It's hard to imagine some of these things, but like these things happen, right? Now, I can't just have faith. I am thrown back upon it. And what happens is I either find that it's more solid and stable than I ever thought, or I realize that I had kind of just created something in my mind and I've never really leaned on it, and that's why I'm so worried about it right now. And I need to find a personal knowledge of the mystery of the riches that are in Jesus Christ and God the Father. And Paul says, I have conflict, great conflict, that you will know these things. Because Paul knew those things. And he knew that's what would keep them in the times that they were going to face and what they were going to go through. And I think you and I, we have a very solid hope in Jesus Christ. But we could all have a little more full assurance in those things. Understanding, knowledge. We could get it and see the value of it. Now the world, again, these are things, these are mysteries in Christ. They're hidden from the world. They're hidden from the unsaved. And to the worldly wise person who basically is just still seeking money, sex, power, fun, fame, Uh, These types of riches are foolish to give ourselves to this unseen king and this unseen kingdom to make choices in relation to those things. They're always going to seem dumb, just as they were when Jesus walked here and gave himself to the same unseen kingdom. Uh, They seem foolish, the decisions that he made. But you and I know that anything that is actually, again, at the end of verse 3, Wisdom and knowledge is going to be found in Jesus Christ and in the context of who he is and not anywhere else. He had established earlier in the book in Colossians, writing in the first chapter, that Jesus is eternal, that he's the creator of all things, that he's the sustainer of all things, and that he is the ultimate purpose of all things. He is going to bring them to his ultimate end. And will. And the reality is, if anybody, the pagan back in Paul's day in Colossae, or the secular American living the Wall Street life, uh, can't possess true wisdom, 
if they don't keep this reality in context. That's what the Bible teaches. If I don't actually have correct answers for my origin, for my meaning in life, for where morality comes from, and for what my ultimate destiny is, whatever I perceive as wisdom really isn't wisdom at all. Because that's a larger context. And the Christian has someone who in the central things of life tells us from eternity where you came from, what your meaning is, what morality is, and where you're going. And the secondary things, sometimes we don't have all the details on. But the, but the central things in life, we have straight. And we have true wisdom because of that. And it's better to have those central things and to leave some of the peripheral things to faith than it is to have it the other way around. And we know that we have the spot to look at least when we need wisdom. When people in the world run around, I think particularly in the scriptures, uh, when there is difficult times and days, um, even for governments, you think of Pharaoh and famine coming. Who did he look to for wisdom? Who was the guy who was not thrown off? His name was Joseph. They said, is there a man like this man in whom the Spirit of God is? Why was he not thrown off by the times? What about Daniel when everything was falling apart? Who was the person they could call in? Tell us what this means. What's happening? It was a man who was in touch with the hidden mysteries in God the Father and Jesus Christ. Not thrown off by those things. Solidified. Focused. Value. Wisdom, these things found in God. And Paul's saying, I have conflict that you guys would understand these things and that you could do it together as a fellowship. You could have this knowledge and be knit together in it, in Jesus Christ. Now, look as he goes on in verse 4. He's going to admit some of his concerns. Now, this I say... Lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Paul was very concerned that somebody was going to lead this group of believers astray. And he's going to deal with that in the letter. Um, but you can look, you look at verse 8 in the same chapter. He'll say, beware, lest anyone cheat you. In verse 16 in the same chapter, he would say, Let no one judge you in food or drink regarding these other things. And then in verse 18 in the same chapter, he would say, Let no one cheat you. So he's concerned for these believers, uh, and he's concerned that they are going to be led astray, particularly by people, notice he says, that are, that are using persuasive words, smooth talkers. There's a lot of them out there. They're using subtle language, notice, to deceive. The subtle language masks the intent behind the language, which is evil or malicious. And for any believer who's settled in Christ, there's always the danger that there's going to be somebody who's going to feed something into their life, another voice that would lead them astray and pull them aside from the wisdom that's really in Christ 
and the place where they should be knit together in him. Everything was cool in the garden until another voice entered into the picture, right? There was Adam and God. Everything was all right. Then another voice entered in. And now all of a sudden, now there's an issue, right? It's still what Satan wants. He doesn't want your conscience exercised between God and his word alone. He wants another voice to come in there. Another opinion. We've never had more opinions in human history. We've never had more voices in our world in human history. Never more access to voices in human history. When there's one voice that's essential. And many of them, again, they're smooth, right? Satan doesn't come like Dracula. We're like, that dude's a creep. Don't listen to him. The voice that will deceive you ends up being somebody you like, right? So a kid goes to college and they're assuming the professor that would lead them astray would be somebody who's like real creepy and mean. But they find that it's somebody they actually kind of like and they're entertaining. And, you know, some of the things they say, they've kind of thought before. Those are some of the questions that I have. And this guy spends time with me. And But there's a subtle deceit behind what's there. There might even be admiration for that person. And Paul has seen this plenty of times before, where the truth has been presented, and then that's challenged in somebody's life because this other voice that's persuasive comes in and begins to lead them astray. Paul personally, notice what he says, for though I'm absent in the flesh, I would be with you in spirit. He, he's saying, I, I wish I wasn't absent in flesh. Paul's like, I wish I was there standing next to you so that I could have a few words for that persuasive person, right? Paul's like, I want to be there to say something when they say something that sounds really persuasive. That's why you like Paul, right? You're, you're glad when God gives us people like that. Like, oh, no, no, I have something to say about that too. But he's not there. But Paul says, I'm there with you in spirit. And thank God we have this letter because of that which has been ministering to Christians for thousands of years. But Paul wants to directly now address this, but he knows he can't. So he says, but I'm with you in spirit, right? You're standing up. I think he wants to encourage them. You're standing up. You're focusing on the Lord. Uh, I'm there with you in all of that. And he says, in that same vein, he's encouraged because he hears that, He's rejoicing because he hears that they have good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. He's happy to hear that even in the middle of these things, they're standing together. And those two words, good order and steadfast, they're military terms. They give the idea of like a phalanx as an army set up. Uh, You know, the Roman army and how... They would set up in that phalanx with their shields connected and their weapons through the shields. And it was basically unstoppable. Well, until they met Hannibal. But then it was unstoppable everywhere else. Um, And they would have uh, basically this strength from being connected with one another. And what Paul gives is this picture. And he says, "I'm, I'm glad to hear that you are connected and nobody has broken ranks. That's the idea. Nobody's thrown down their shield in the line and left, right? That was when the whole thing would fall apart, when somebody would break rank. 
And I think that, that the picture there is helpful for us, especially in terms of when, when I'm thinking of somebody who might be leading someone astray, or how might I know if I'm being led astray, one of the ways you can tell is if you're breaking ranks with brothers and sisters in Christ whose hearts you used to be knit to, you should be careful. Now, there's, there comes times where things are wrong, and that has to happen. But in general, the believer who is hearing the voice of God, Christ, shouldn't be throwing their shield down and running when everybody else is still standing, holding the line. Right? And Paul says, be careful of that. Right? There was a problem when Lot was like, I don't want to hang out with Abraham anymore. You know, it's kind of an issue here now because you're okay hanging out at Sodom, but you're not okay hanging out with Abraham. There's a little problem here. When Judas left the other disciples and decided he was going to do something different, he should have thought, there's a problem here. There's a problem here. There's a man named Demas that left Paul, having loved this present world. There's a problem. And Paul's encouraged that that is not happening in this church, but it can sneak in in all of our lives. And often it's very sad when that happens. Uh, even Peter at one point broke ranks, and Paul had to correct him because he was there eating with some of the Gentile believers, and the Jewish believers showed up, and then he got embarrassed, and he backed off. And Paul had to correct him and say, you're going to stumble people by doing this. And it's important that you and I, uh, when we're following the Lord, and particularly when we're in rank with other believers, ordered and steadfast with them, that whenever something weird comes in that's telling us we should leave that, we should think, I don't know about that. This, this doesn't seem to be the thing that God would be telling me to do. And Paul's happy that these believers are united so far in Christ. Now, six, he's going to continue to encourage them here. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So what do we do? Uh, what do we keep doing? Paul tells his church to keep moving forward with Christ. Notice, as they have received him, his person and doctrine. No doubt they received him in spirit and truth. It's the opposite of John, where the Bible tells us Jesus came unto his own, and his own received him not. Continue with, notice he says, Christ Jesus the Lord. He's both our Savior and Lord. You keep moving forward in him. This is how you won't be deceived. This is how you won't break rank. This is how you will find those riches that he's been talking about. This is how you will be knit together with other believers. This is how you will find your heart encouraged. As you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So it sounds really simple, right? The idea there is, so go on walking in him. Jesus is the object and the sphere that we continue to walk in. 
You've been called into Christ. Go on walking in Christ. Wherever else you're going, I, I like these things because they simplify. Uh, you know, there's so many things going on. Should I do this? Should I do that? Lord, what do I do here? How do, how do I answer this situation? So many things going on in life. It's sometimes you just have to pull back again to the things you know. And there's a lot of things going on here for this church as well. And Paul's like, here's what you need to do. Go on walking with Jesus. He doesn't have to explain that a ton. But the idea is continue wherever it is. It needs to be this continual thing. Do we walk with him daily? Do we go on walking with him? Or is there some place where we cut it off? Uh, Do we leave him at church on Wednesday night? Or at school? Or at home before we go to work? Or do we leave him at work and show up at home and show something different? Do we go on walking with Jesus? Or is there a point where we're like, you wait here and then I'll find you when I come back? Right, a walk pictures intimacy. If I said to anybody here, hey, come walk with me for a minute, you would assume I have something to say to you. Oh, well, well, what's up? What do you want right? to say? Uh, I do youth ministry, done that for a long time in the high school. When you see a young man and a young lady take a long walk, you assume there's something going on there, right? Because you're like, there's no other person you could find to walk with, right? There's, there's something happening. There's a connection happening. And a walk with Jesus is something personal. He's interacting with us. He has something he intends to say to us. I'm continually moving forward with him. Or, again, do we just leave him off at some point? I'm saved. Got my get-out-of-hell-free ticket. Put that in here. Jesus I'll catch up to you at the end. There's a lot of one-and-done theology like that in the world. I'm saved. I don't need Jesus for anything else except the day I die. There's a lot of that out there. I don't know if we could quite classify that as a biblical walk with Jesus. I think certainly anybody you walk with, you're going to be thankful for them or their fellowship. And Paul, again, I love this. He just feels no need to explain to them what he's talking about. I'm trying to give you some examples of that, but Paul just says, you keep walking with him. He doesn't have to sit down and give them the theological explanation of what walking with Jesus is. Any believer who's born again that has the Spirit of God walks in fellowship with Jesus. It might be like the Emmaus Road. Maybe you weren't aware he was there for a little bit, but he's going to make himself known. And you're going to be like, oh yeah, Jesus, you're here. Didn't our hearts burn in us along the way while he spoke with us? If you're truly born again, you're going to walk with Jesus. You're going to know that. You're not going to need anybody to explain that to you. You're going to have the experience of it. It might be a little different for everybody, but it's real. I want to talk about the weird abuses of experience right, that people talk about. There's legitimate experience with God, and the whole Bible just basically takes that for granted. God shows up and talks with Noah doesn't give us all the details. just says God said to Noah because God's a person and Noah's a person and people can talk to people. He says, walk with him. Everybody in this room knows what that means. 
You walk with Jesus. You acknowledge him in your life. You don't leave him anywhere. You bring him into every area of your life. You do that, you'll be, you'll be in a safe place from those other persuasive voices if you have him by your side. And that daily walk will be a continual, notice verse 7, rooting in him. He gives us a couple pictures. Rooted in him, the language is past tense here, having been once and for all rooted. It's a past act with continual results. There's a constant, unseen connection between me and Jesus that I'm drawing life from. That should be there for all of us. You should be rooted in him. Those roots go down and you're drawing out strength and nutrients. And it's not always so obvious to everybody on the outside. Fruit comes at its various times. We know now is the season. Those leaves change. They fall off. It doesn't mean that the trees aren't receiving any more nutrients. They are. We're just not seeing it all the time. But it's there. It's happening. It's continual. And frankly, anybody who wants to walk with Jesus, they have to have that life more than in just like the public moments, right? You know, we need, we're supposed to do something that we perceive as spiritual. Um, we need God for those things. I need God for a moment where I'm teaching the scripture. But if I can't have God outside of this, why am I even saved? If I can't have him just as much in my house or in my room, why am I even walking with God? If we can't have him, the truth, the riches, the value of who he is, if there's not something more in my life than even what is put out in the public, there's a problem. If there's not a life between you and the Lord that others don't see, there's a problem. That's part of the reason we see story after story of pastor or organizer or person out there who it comes out, they have some thing in their life or they're stealing money or they're in sexual sin or they're just belligerent and pride and nobody can work with them. It's because their outward life was all there was and their inward life died somewhere. The performance became bigger than the actual life. And pretty soon the tree falls over because the roots aren't strong enough to hold it. You and I, we need to be rooted in him. Paul says, I have great conflict that you will be rooted in him. Because if that's happening, I'm not worried. I'm not worried then. That they would be built up in him. Uh, the idea is really being built upon. He is the sure and stable foundation for all our continued growth. Uh, There's purpose, organization, construction in the idea here. We are doing construction out front there. Anybody that's doing any type of construction, you understand there's a process. Bigger materials to smaller materials. You start with certain things like a foundation or beams or studs, walls, You have things on the inside, plumbing, electricity, 
insulation. You have things then, then you know, floors, windows. You're doing all these other things. And you get to, like, the decor. You know, you're putting up little pictures and painting things and whatnot. And those things aren't quite as essential, but they're all part of the house being built, right? And the idea is, you and I, we construct a Christian life upon Jesus Christ. And there is a focused goal. There's an image that's to be reached from larger to finer points. And I do think that there's an idea here where you and I are supposed to think, okay, I'm constructing a life in Jesus And part of my growth is going to go from larger to finer points. Like, right off the bat, I'm going to realize, okay, I shouldn't, like, beat people up or murder people. And you're like, that's a large point for a Christian. Thou shalt not steal. That's a pretty large point for a Christian, too. And then you're going to move to finer points where you realize, okay, Lord, every pleasure in my life might not be profitable, and I need to work on. And he works from outside to inside, larger to finer points. That happens in all of us. But there should, I think, also be in a Christian idea of life a, a goal. Like, at the end of my life, what do I want it to have been? I'm not just throwing material randomly out there. I'm trying to build something. What do I want my life to be when I die and step into heaven? What? If you're a father or a husband, head of a household, you better think about that. What do you want your house to be? What do you want your life to be? And it doesn't have to be the world's version, right? If I want to be a person who was a faithful husband and a faithful father and faithfully served as an usher in church for my life, great. You got a goal, you got a focus. It's going to take certain material to build that life. And other things are going to have to come in to play. And there's going to be choices between those two. But a lot of people get very haphazard in life. And they don't really think about what they're aiming for, what their priorities are. And then they find like these mixed up weird things in life. How come I don't have God's grace here? How come this thing's falling apart? Or how come... I didn't see this before. Well, it's because you forgot that you're actually building something. You have a goal that you need to aim for. And God could change things up a little bit. That's fine. That happens with all of us. But there is, there is a reality where we say, I am building something here. And when I'm done, I want it to be something that is, notice what he says in the next section there, established. He says, I want them to be rooted, built up in him, and established in the faith. Established has the idea of confirmed. It's a solid tree or house. It's tested. It's reliable. It's the type of life that comes from walking with Jesus just as we've received him. The disciples eventually became established, reliable. They were not right off the bat. They built to that. Jesus worked them there. He molded them. As they walked with him, he conformed them into his own image and his own likeness. And you and I, I think that there's a reality where... um, 
Sadly, uh, we want to be established in a lot of other ways. I want to be established in my position at work or established in this thing or that thing. But to be established in the faith is something that Paul is saying. I have great conflict for this church, that they would learn what it is to be established in him. This is a man who went through so much and would say, but none of these things move me. See, Paul is established. If you could throw him in prison and it didn't shake him because he knew Nothing can take God away from me. Nothing can ever change my purpose in him. Whether Paul was free or in jail, his purpose didn't change to serve God, to share the gospel. And he had his plans, and when his plans changed, he had the faith to understand God has a better plan. Okay, I didn't think I would be beaten and thrown in prison in Philippi, but that's what happened. And now I'm going to sing praise songs oh, wait, and there's an earthquake, and now people got saved, and now we have a church. Wasn't exactly my plan, but I had the faith to continue to serve him. And God's plan was even better than my plan. And you and I are building a life that is to be, again, established in the faith. Not the faith that God fulfills all our dreams. Faith is trust in the character of God. Simple as that. As revealed in the Bible, he is who he said he is, no matter what our circumstances are. I'm established in that. I trust him no matter what. Therefore, I don't have to be shaken or moved by these things. Because nothing is going to shake what he has claimed about himself. And all I do then is I continue, notice he says, as you have been taught. You, You already know this stuff. You don't need something really new and slick. I know the circumstances might seem different now. This might seem new, or the danger might seem new, or the challenge might seem new, or the battle to our faith might seem new. But you really, you don't really need to do anything new. You just need to continue as you've been taught. You need to walk in him. You need your roots to go a little deeper. You need to remember what you're built on and what you're building So that you can be established in him. You can know the value of the things you've been given in him. You should have your own, F.W. Borm says, everyone should have their own modest stock of certainties. We don't know everything, but there's a couple of things we really do know that we're certain about. You continue on as you've been taught. Don't let people trick you with the new thing. Don't be drawn aside by the slick stuff. You stay on the old paths. And we see this life then rooted, built, and established. And I think when we do think of that, right, I, like think of whatever, when, when we say those things, somebody who's walking with God, rooted, built, and established in him. Think of the believer in your life that you think of as that person. Who's the... Who's the fruitful Christian that you admire the most? You know, we can think of Christians, famous Christians, like David Livingston or Augustine, or you think of people, maybe you've read a biography of George Whitfield or whoever, 
Amy Carmichael, and you think of Christians who, you think of these people who are established in faith. They're, they're solid. They've been rooted in him. Things come at their life, and they're not shaken. And it's easy to look at those, and the tendency is to ignore the roots and the foundation that those lives were established on. Because we typically want the quick results without a lifetime of roots going down or that careful kind of uh, meticulous construction. We want to rush to these things instead of continuing in the things that we've been taught. And we look at these giants of the faith, but we have impatience. And we can easily kind of ignore their really simple beliefs. You look at these people, and, and all of them gave themselves to the word of God in prayer, each in kind of unique ways, but, but it was an essential. That's true of every one of their lives. All of them reverently and seriously entered the house of God. They thought about God's house very seriously. They diligently planned their life to focus on spiritual things to the exclusion of worldly things on purpose. And they labored and even suffered to walk with God and serve him, giving even their lives at some point. And to be honest, a lot of times if we like live with some of these people, like Paul, he sounds really cool right in this letter, right? Like Sounds awesome. But what if I lived with Paul for a month? Maybe I wouldn't like him. Be like, Paul, man, you're a little overly serious here. You know, it's just the Eagles game. I know they're not good this week, but come on. Like, don't you, did you talk about the games, can't you? You know, some of us, we might not actually, people that we even read or we think about or these Christians, we kind of look at their lives and maybe envy in certain ways. Maybe we'd actually have, to be honest, a hard time if we lived with them. And we would consider their kind of sacrificial pursuit of God as like over the top, even kind of hypocritical. But I think the cool thing Paul's saying is this, and my point is simply this, it's not possible to speed this up, which is what our tendency is. We... We want the quick fix to abiding with God or building a rock-solid Christian life. There is no shortcut to Christian character, just like there is no shortcut to growing a really large tree. just takes time. And when we say we want these things, we have to understand what I'm saying is I'm committing myself to a lifetime endeavor. A lifetime endeavor of daily walking with Jesus, daily being rooted in him, daily building something that, again, is going to take a lifetime to build, and daily moving in a certain direction of things that I know already. That said, the possibility is there for all of us. And Paul's desire is that this Colossian fellowship would know the joy of this type of life. Notice again what he says, that they would do these things as they have been taught. They already knew these things. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. The idea is you're overflowing. The abounding is it's running over the top. That this is a type of life that actually produces 
thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. It overflows. You don't have to, you don't have to conjure it up. This is, this is the type of life that, is, that praises God on its own. When it's rooted in him, encouraged in him, realizing the values that it has because of the riches and the treasures that are hidden in Jesus Christ. The things that God did from eternity to pull me into, to be a part of, a sinner. And that I could continually walk in him in those things. What happens is you don't have to tell that person you have to praise God. It's already overflowing. They they want that. They can't hold that type of life back. And it's a Christian life that's soon overflowing with the joy of the Lord. You know, again, this is one of those things that ends up being personal. It's a declaration here. Um. And we can look around, and, I, you know, everybody kind of knows. It's easy to say, well, like, well, I know, like, you know, my, you know, uncle's a Christian. He's miserable, you know, like, I don't want to be a Christian. Or, you know, my dad, so dad was a Christian. He was miserable, and he left us. Or, you know, this person's a Christian. And, look, I understand that, and there's certainly bad examples of those things. But all I think Paul is saying, and I think I can say is, you can't know the value of something by looking at a messed up version of it. You know the value of something by looking at the right version of it. And the only type of person that you can ask is the Christian life that is rooted, built on him, and established in him. One that is full of joy is a person who is rooted, built up, and established in him. So you would go to David Livingston and say, is the Christian life that you've lived full of joy? Even though you face difficulties and obstacles, or Paul the Apostle, or Amy Carmichael, or any of those other people that you might have thought of when I said think of the Christian that you can think of who's the most established Christian in your life. You ask them, and that's the test, right? Because the Christian life... There are good and bad versions of it. And what Paul's talking about here is a version that he wants this church to experience. He has concerns for them. There are certain things there that are difficult that they're going to be facing. But there's great hope that this type of life can be put forward for any one of us. And he wants these Colossians to step into it. And he's saying... I have conflict because, not because he knew them, but because he knew Jesus Christ and he knew what this type of life was. I have great conflict that you would come to know these things, that you would know what it's like to live knit together with a group of people encouraged in him because you know the true spiritual riches and value, personal knowledge of those things. You're assured of them. You understand them. What you have in Christ Jesus and the Father. So don't let anybody trick you. Be careful of people who are talking smooth or feeding you things that your flesh might buy into. Watch out for the other voice. Don't let another voice, mine included, you should never trust anybody who can't say that, mine included, 
Get between you and the word of God. Because you should receive it as it is in truth, the word of God. And you exercise your conscience and your heart in that place. And when that happens, you'll be standing together, steadfast, good order. My spirit's there with you. I'm locked up. I can't be with you in person. I would love to be. But I'm, I'm with you in spirit. And then you just keep walking with him. Rooted, built up, and established. Right in the things you've been taught. And you'll be abounding with joy. You will see that joy build up and abound in your life. So let's stand. We're going to pray. If you need help in any of those things, if you're wondering what that might look like for you personally, again, I just encourage you, you walk with him. Right? The Bible takes that for granted. He'll tell you. He'll let you know. He doesn't just command us to do things and then not give us what he commands. Right? So you ask him in faith, Lord, show me what it would look like for me to be that in you. But let's pray and then we'll praise him. Lord Jesus, we just thank you again for your word. We thank you that there is clarity there in a world that is confusing. That we can have a proper perspective in you. And that all the wisdom, the assurance, the knowledge we need, it's found in you. That we know where to go, who to ask where to look. And Lord Jesus, I pray for myself and for our fellowship here, Calvary Chapel, Philadelphia, that we could be in these days a place where people recognize a group of people knit together, welded together in love to you and to one another, steadfast and established in you. And that there would be great joy in those things joy of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. So encourage any of my brothers and sisters here tonight that need that in you. Give them the wisdom and the patience they need to walk in those things and to follow you as you lead them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.